From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 243, and today I'm joined by writer-showrunner Ken Cooperis. Ken's most recent film is Hudson and Rex, and he's also behind the reboot of The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. All right, so we're sitting down to watch The Greatest Show on Earth. I had to stop myself from saying The Greatest Showman, because that's what my daughter, when I told her what I was watching tonight, she was like, oh, The Greatest Showman. I was like, no, we're not watching The Greatest Showman. (laughs) I don't know. I'm Jeremy, and I have not seen this film. I'm Ken, and I have also not seen this film. And you picked it. So, what what was your your reason for picking this film? It is like one of a very few handful of um, movies that have won Best Picture um, at the Academy Awards that I haven't seen. It's just kind of fallen through the cracks uh, over the years. Yeah, same. I think the most recent one that I haven't seen is The Artist. Um, and I think I continually avoid it cause I feel like it's going to feel like homework, but, uh, I know I should watch it at some point. Yeah. And you know, like there was a time in the nineties or, um, when I was very active in film and I went backwards and I watched, you know, 85% of the best picture winners that I hadn't seen dating back to wings or whatever it was. And, uh, and from that year on, I pretty much made it a point of at least watching, uh the best picture at least yeah Um, and the only one i would say that is of the newer batch that i haven't seen is slumdog millionaire oh really and only because i hate that game show (laughs) (laughs) so it just didn't seem like something i was that interested in oh you might i bet you you would enjoy that movie more than you think so because danny boyle is pretty an entertaining filmmaker yeah my my only like real thought on slumdog is i remember my wife and I, well, my wife and I, my wife was pregnant with our son at the time. And I remember we saw it in the movie theaters and the first, and that was like the first time he started kicking was right. during that movie. Cause the movie's also got like this big, big loud soundtrack. And she was just like, right. she, I remember her just jumping at one point in the screen. I was like, what's going on? She's like, it's kicking. And so we, we felt the whole, spent the whole movie like touching my wife's belly as like our son <laughs> kick the hell out of her. <laughs> That's awesome. So that's whenever I think of a Slumdog Millionaire, I think of like my son kicking my wife. <laughs> oh, I love that. So I don't know outside of just I was when I was double checking to make sure I could I could stream this somehow. I don't know anything about this other than the cast, uh, like some of the cast, and like a vague idea that I'm. It's about show, show, showmanship uh, or, or uh, what's that's another word. Where am I? It's about the circus. Yeah. Oh, the circus. Oh, great. Yeah, it's a circus movie. It's, I mean, The Greatest Showman 
um, is kind of a take on it, right? It's, it, it is basically... It's like an update in a weird way. Except that this isn't... I don't... Uh, and I'm speaking out of school because I really don't know that much about it. But my understanding is that it's not like the life story of um, P.T. Barnum. Got it. That, that this is actually... It is, um, is just kind of a, a slice of life movie about the, the inner operations of a circus. And, okay. And like kind of the day-to-day of a circus. Um, and that's all I really know about it, except that, uh, um, except that I don't think P.T. Barnum is like a main character or anything. I don't even think, I'm not even sure he's in it. I'm not sure. But um, I don't, I, you know, for some reason in my head, I don't think that P.T. Barnum is like a character or, or a major character anyways. Huh. Is it a musical? Do you know? I, you know what? I don't know. That's a great question. I'm don't, not let, sure. don't find out. Don't find out. I want to be surprised. <laughs> I, I know it's long. Like it's two and a half hours long, which makes my brain go for that era. Musical makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, like it's, it's a, I think it's considered one, you know, like it's like an epic, right? Like it's kind of considered sort of like a, the Dr. Zhivago or Gone with the Wind. I think it's kind of meant to be that kind of, of, of big widescreen experience. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, that that I'm excited. I'm gonna I'm gonna rent it and put it on my so I can watch it out in my screening room. I don't have a copy of it anywhere, and it's not a, a streamer, is it? You know, how are you? Question. I I think actually, you know what? Do you I have a copy on a streamer? But I think maybe I had uh, I had like bought it on iTunes for like five bucks at some point. Yeah, it's on iTunes rentable for like five bucks right now. So that's probably yeah, how I'm I, gonna do it. I think that's probably like I probably bought it because whenever a movie that I hadn't seen, like a for whatever reason, comes up for five bucks, I used to buy it. Yeah, um, that, and stack them. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's funny though; it's harder to find those now, and uh, and there are this. Um, I've had this conversation before, but like there are there's this like great dearth of these movies that aren't available on any like streamer yet or maybe ever yeah. that they haven't just picked them up because they're like, eh, is there an interest for it? You know? So it, it's, it's almost, it's getting to a point where it's like, shoot, like someone's got to come up with a streamer that will kind of take all these little misfits or these like forgotten gems. You know, I know criterion does a lot of curated things yeah. and, and they'll put stuff like this on there from time to time but you know it's yeah, uh I talk, I talk a lot about that on my little twitter thing i do where i i'm watching every movie from 1987 and in in chronological order and like you'd be shocked how many movies from 1987 are not represented on streamers and impossible to rent even on itunes that i've had to like um track down sometimes on vhs like wow. uh, or or they're simply not available in home media and i have to like you know resort to you know finding them through al- alternate means which i hate doing but um but that but that I, I don't ever feel bad about doing that if i legitimately put an effort into trying to find it in in a way that i can you know help support the yeah. industry or the filmmaker uh you know I, I i rarely do it myself but yeah it's like if i if i've gone through every possible means that i can find to support it and it and, no, and nobody's letting me then yeah. i i don't feel so bad then i then i go well i support enough streaming services 
and all this other stuff, uh, you know, that one's fine. And if it ever does come out there, I will, I probably already have a subscription to it or <laughs> I'll, yeah, uh, exactly. I'll, I'll buy it online. Yeah. Uh, but it's tough. It's tough. Cause there are so many, now there are so many streamers too, that it's just like, it's almost more expensive than having, you know, a high end cable for television. If you're, if you're part of all of these different streaming services. Yeah. But this is like, you know, movies like this, like you say, you know, there's no reason why it shouldn't be on a streamer. Like it won no best picture is, in 1952, you know, right? No one's going to like, no one's going to pay $5 to rent a movie like this because you know, who's looking for that movie. But if it's on a streamer, people might check it out, right? Like, it's just a shame that so many of these movies are becoming forgotten movies, becoming lost movies. I'm surprised that, like, here's a free idea, Internet, that the Hollywood Foreign Press or, or the Academy hasn't made their own streaming service for movies like this that don't have a home anywhere else, that they can live there. So, and, 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 you know, movies from whatever category that one can be part of it. Right. So you can even get like some of the stuff that just won technical awards or documentaries, yeah. short films, you know, it feels like such a, a missed opportunity uh, for that organization to put together like some kind of a service where these films that don't have homes elsewhere could live. Yeah. There you go. Free idea, internet. Someone do that from the Academy. Absolutely. And with all the streamers, like nobody is paying money to rent movies on iTunes anymore. And, and, and why, why would you want to pay $5 to rent a movie anyways? You know, it, they should be a dollar or two tops to rent. Uh, you know, then maybe you'll, you'll actually rent some movies and, and make some money, but when you're know, competing with streamers, yeah, that's, that's what I've told my distributors too, in the past for my, my older titles, I'm like, make them as cheap as possible. Because otherwise people are just going to see, they're going to go five bucks, I'll torrent it, you know, yeah. unfortunately. Where for a buck, they might go, eh, that's a buck. Yeah, a buck doesn't hurt anybody. And, you know, even video stores uh, in their last gasps, like the new releases were six bucks, but they always had the buck or two section where you could like, you know, get, you know, get the older movies. And that's what they should, you know, find, you know, charge $7 for your new releases. But, you know, a buck or two for like movies from the 1950s and 60s and 70s. Like, come on. Yeah. Craziness. Uh, I, um, uh, what was I going to say? I, uh, that was my whole childhood was, was the video store. If you rented a new release, they gave you an old release for free. Wow, like one of awesome. like they had like three different tiers. So it was like red tags with the old, old movies and the blue tags with like the somewhat, yep somewhere in between and the yellow tags are new. So if you got a yellow tag, you automatically get a red tag. So for me, I would just come home with, you know, I'd rent two yellows and get two reds and I just pick random movies off the shelf. And that's, that was like the best. That's the education, right? We had a video store in Winnipeg um, um, called movie village and they would do a thing called seven, 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 seven movies for seven days for $7. And they were all like, you know, older library titles that, you know, I would never have thought of renting, but when you find five movies you want to watch and you got to pick two more still, that's when you start to grab just anything, right? Like it's like, oh, yeah. that cover interesting. I'll try it. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine had the same thing. It was like the like it was seven movies for seven bucks for seven dollars, right? Or for seven days, they got to keep. Days, for, yeah. yeah, that that's because otherwise they're just sitting on the shelf anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's just it. Those days, those days are so. So far, I still remember when like the, the last video store near us that I could walk to closed and my son was just like, I didn't understand why I was so sad. He's like, why don't you just 
because I, I was explaining how video stores worked when I was a kid, yeah. and uh, and he's like, "Well, I didn't just watch it on Netflix." And I was like, and I slapped him. <laughs> I said, "Shut up!" <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Well, Please. You should be able to get the same experience as a movie rental store online, um, but it's it's not structured that the right way, in my no. in my opinion, anyways. No, what you don't have like the curation. Like, there's a curation element but it's an algorithm and not a person yeah right so you're not able to like like the best you have is like every now and then i see like on social media or facebook people are often like hey recommend stuff to me because nobody can trust like these algorithms that you're getting right you don't know if they're uh if they're curated by someone else or if they're being sponsored by i'm sure that's happening that these algorithms are corrupted by sponsors or by oh, you know nice. certain studios trying to push this or that, or or Netflix no themselves trying to push stuff through their own originals. So it's hard to know, you know, what to trust when it comes to those things. So I think, luckily, social media exists, and I know I get so many things um, through that just from seeing what people are to- posting about and talking about. But it's also just impossible to still to be caught up because there's so much. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, I think we should dive in because I don't know anything about this movie and you and I will just nerd out about streaming services and movies for forever. If we don't stop. Yeah. We've got them already moved off the movie before we even. <laughs> That's okay. The pre-tangent. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, we'll be right back. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished and uh, that was really a uh, really interesting movie. I actually quite liked it. I have to say um, surprisingly uh, really kind of got a kick out of it. Not even so much the story as just the um, almost the documentary side of it. Oh, it was like going to the circus in the fifties. It was crazy. How like my son, I, I went up watching my son watched it with me and he was completely drawn in and bowled away by it. Some of the stuff, especially because he's sitting there going, this is all real. Like, there's no, this is not CGI. This is, and reading up, I, one thing I did know about this was that Cecil D. Mill made all the actors do their own stuff. Oh, interesting. Like, and the guy that played uh, Wilkes, who played um, Sebastian, was scared of heights. Oh, man. <laughs> That's scary, man. I would just watch, even just watching the sword swallower, I'm just like, <laughs> All of it. Like, uh, you know, I have... Um, I actually had to turn I had to turn it off a couple of times um and fast forward a couple of times because um I get very I get a lot of anxiety at real circuses when people do high wire acts. Oh. And I can't go to I can't go to things like um Cirque du Soleil. I just can't do it. It's just too I I'm just I have so much anxiety over it that I that I just can't do it. Oh wow, that's interesting. I've and, never and I was I was shocked to find that because it was so real um because it was not cgi because they were really doing these stunts and it looked so visceral i actually like you know got that anxiety feeling and had to like take a couple of breaks that that is a testament to how how good it is i guess in a way right yeah absolutely like um it was hard to watch at points for sure Wow. Yeah. Cause it is so, uh, and I guess I can only imagine, um, well, there's so much bad green screen in this that you get a yeah. sense that like they, you know, they've probably followed, you know, part of the production is them following 
the real circus around and just and just capturing uh, whatever happens, right? Like you said, the documentary aspect, and then shooting plates <laughs> to put later later scenes inside of. Um, yeah, they clearly probably shot like for three months of a circus, right? Like I'm sure um, uh, Cecil B. DeMille um, just uh, shot second unit for like uh, for a whole season or something because you know there was a ton of circus stuff that the stars weren't in, like just a lot of stuff that that had no none of the stars in it. And it was, well, there was one, there was one, there was a couple of pieces that every now and then um, James Stewart would pop into. Yeah. That he would be because he would jump in with the clowns, but right. uh, oh wow, anyway, where do we start? There's so much, yeah. I really because the story is pretty thin, um, it, it isn't, it isn't like, um, I mean, for a two and a half hour movie, yeah, okay, it's it's quite thin, but um, yeah, they do, I, they do pack quite a bit in considering how much of it is just a commercial for the circus. That's just it, like, to be fair, like, if you wanted to be like a brutal editor, you could cut. I don't know, probably 45 minutes of this movie out that's just pure circus antics and performance. And all of those documentary aspects you could dramatize somehow. You know, all the stuff of them, of the narrator talking about putting up the tent and putting it down and that opening narration that's super bleak. (laughs) Um, That was, it's funny because of the, I was expecting like a a huge death um, because of the way that opening narration set up the danger so much. Yeah, it was, uh, and we got, you know, we sort of got it. Um, oh, fair. Yeah. The, the, I mean, we, didn't the get, we didn't get the death, but we did get like, you know, the, um, we did get a big, uh, accident. I mean, we got a couple of big accidents, like, <laughs> well, the, elef- the, the elephant guy died for sure. He drove, tr- he drove head onto that train. Um, but I mean, even Sebastian, like at his fall, right. Like, uh, you know, that definitely should have killed him. Um, and the, uh, that train accident, it, I mean, it, it should have killed about 50 of the performers because, uh, I mean, th- that was insane. Well, they made a comment at one point and we'll, we'll, we'll deep dive into the, the train sequence because it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Even though, even though you can see the miniatures and see some of the stuff, but I think even, um, when he's barking all his orders still like on his potential deathbed, he's like, how, find out how many people are dead. Yeah, <laughs> how many people are left? <laughs> what do they do with the dead? Uh, yeah, that whole that whole end sequence is pretty fantastic. Yeah, and I and didn't I had no idea it was coming. No, how could you? Like it, the rest of the movie is so light, and like you know, the rest of the movie is like this cotton candy, right? It's like it's just this spectacle of of kind of fun and like minor stakes and and love affairs and yeah, you know, goofy charm. But and, then it, it, and then it just turns for the last 20 minutes. So it's just like a massive turn. And it's great, but it's great because what it does is it just pulls everything together, right? Like I was, I kept, I kept on going where, where like someone's got to get hurt in a way that James Stewart's character's got to reveal that he is the surgeon, you know? Yeah. Was, you're just waiting for that. Like they, they yeah. kind of give it away pretty early on when his mom comes to the circus and they had that little moment. Yeah. And you're like, it's like, ah, he's a criminal of some kind. He's definitely hiding in a circus. Uh, but it's also Jimmy Stewart. Like there's like, it, and, and, you know, they do a really good job of, of like faux hiding it. Like when the great Sebastian meets him for the first time, he says, why do you, uh, why are you wearing makeup all the time? He's like, why are you the great Sebastian? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting little character thing. Like uh, it is a good idea actually. 
I don't know that I've seen that before or since uh, that, uh, you know, someone is hiding out in clown makeup that he never takes off um, and blending in that way. It's kind of yeah. interesting. And he's such a nice guy too. And, you know, it was, it was such a weird ending for him because nobody seemed to care. Like he's like the, the nicest guy in the circus saves everybody's life and he gets dragged off in cuffs and nobody really kind of cares. To be fair, they were pretty busy at that moment. They were trying to they were, they were trying to save that nice performance. But yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, but there was enough going on in those last, like as he was saving him, like just the, everyone having looks to him. Like I think I I didn't feel like there wasn't love for him at the end. Like I felt like as he I was agree. saving and him, even, even the cop, you know, says, "Can I shake your hands before I put the cuffs on and all that?" But I, but I was like, you know, it just seemed like a harsh ending for that guy, who you know clearly. Um, you know, committed a mercy killing for a sick wife. Yeah. Um, kind of disappeared into a circus, clearly not going to hurt anybody else. Like, I I mean, you know, it was just, it was a weird scenario for that cop to like, like this cop to show up on the hunt for him like that. I don't know. I didn't totally buy it. I had mixed feelings between like really appreciating like the honesty that, you know, a cop would come and do their job and rest him. But then also just wanting that Hollywood ending where I'm like, just let him go. <laughs> just let him go. Or, you know? you know, have the guy say, Hey, the circus is behind you. We'll put everything we have into your defense or like, you know, something, you know, rather than, well, you got pinched. Thanks for saving my life. See you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Up to the, the hoose cow with you. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, but I did. I just love the dramatic turn that it's like, he has to, give up his his freedom to save is it ryan ryan right yeah it's um it's uh is it a brad oh it's 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 a it's a four letter name like that it's ryan or brad anyway um brad it's it's like brad braden or something like that yeah 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 i think it's brad The, the, the the thing that was funny to me about before we get off uh jimmy james stewart's character is in the opening credits he was credited as a uh, button a clown yeah as well as a buttons, buttons the clown. A clown yeah <laughs> that was really strange there's i know my wife even my son was like what why didn't they write the i was like i don't know i don't know maybe it's because he because he's not a clown like he was a clown you know he's kind of like pretending to be a clown in a way yeah i, I was mean, expecting sebastian to be way creepier with women i mean he kind of still was Oh, he sure, sure, but for the era, it could have been way worse, and you, and yeah. still would have gotten away with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what a great intro that he rolls into town in that like fancy car, and and feels like oh, he got a police escort. He's like, no, they're all give, they're waiting to give him tickets. Yeah, he's like, pay my fines. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, it was a great entrance, and you know, when he was driving, I thought it was Tony Curtis. It wasn't until he started talking that I realized it wasn't. Yeah. Uh. But that guy was fit. Yeah. Especially when you realize they had, because they had to, they had to learn how to do all their own stuff. And even her, like who's singing and doing it all. Like there's so many shots where that's clearly her doing it. Like there's no. Betty Betty Hutton's a a Broadway gal, right? So she, you know, she, she knows how to like belt out the tunes while she's doing physical stuff for sure. Yeah. I think she was, I think she was Annie Oakley and Annie Get Your Gun. Oh yeah. She does have some chops in the, in the, theater world i was reading uh lucille ball was up for that angel role right yeah yeah um I, she would have been perfect for that they even got another redhead right yeah <laughs> like, 
that whole yeah. scene with, with the elephant stuff. And again, the same thing, like the elephant, oh. it was real. Like there was no fakery there. Like that elephant just dangled its foot right above her face. Oh, so terrifying. Like can you imagine <laughs> actors in the fifties, like actresses having to do that, like crazy stuff. They would never, ever, ever, oh. ever do that now. That is terrifying. Yeah. It would a hundred percent be CGI now. And oh, of course, you couldn't get the insurance for an actor to do that. That no. was insane. Um, that was, yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was like just seeing seeing a circus where there was like, they did a couple of shots where there was like 500 horses like running through the three rings and like, well, they must have had at least 20 elephants. That's it. I, 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 I figured I listed 20 when I was trying to count. Is it that one shot when, when they're doing the whole elephant sequence yeah. and they're all like falling behind? I'm like, that's a lot of elephants. It's a ton of elephants. And I just thought, wow, like this, I guess, you know, we, I, even as a kid in the seventies and eighties, it was different than a, than a 1950s circus. Right. Oh, I've never I, seen I, anything like that. I went, you know, as a kid, I went to the Ringling brothers and the Shriner circuses and uh and they were pretty they were um you know they had uh they were still doing the three rings at the time now they don't now they generally just do one ring but um they were still three ring circuses back there that they would do in arenas and they still had the big spectacles and stuff but it it wasn't the same like they, they had like a parade in the middle of this circus yeah like a full parade with disney characters with disney characters and the best part of those disney characters is those costumes were filthy. They were like, they were worse than the kind of costumes you find on the people in Times Square or uh, LA doing like the photo ops. Yeah, they weren't they were, pristine. They didn't look like the characters and they were like d- dirty and filthy. I love that like, whole sequence when I kept on coming back to the dad going, there's Mickey Mouse. It's the Mad Hatter. <laughs> it's the Mad Hatter. And did you notice like that? Like a lot of times they went to the crowd and the adults were loving it and the kids looked bored. Yeah, I love that. But then there's that one when they were doing the the kind of like cockfight between the two trapeze artists at the beginning, uh, when it was getting really intense, they had this great shot where they just kept the kids with ice cream and just dripping down the cone. Like they're not licking it. They just can't tear their eyes away. Well, it's funny. Anytime they had a kid with an ice cream cone in a, in a, in a tighter shot, he had a, they always had a big ring of ice cream around his mouth. Every single time, like it was, uh, you know, in they to make it look like he was smashing the ice cream into his mouth, or I don't know. I guess like that's how kids eat ice cream back then; they get it all over their face. That's hilarious. So it was clearly a makeup job, but it was every time on every kid. So I was like, that's a little much. Yeah. Huh. Those, a lot of those crowd reaction shots were weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, it just felt like, again, they shot them way after. Some of them felt because they're definitely, when it was especially on the kids, that they were definitely having them react to something, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I wondered if they didn't, when they were doing this whole documentary stuff, if for the stuff like that, they didn't have scripted actors doing a like, couple like lines, if they didn't just shoot the crowd and put, you know, put p- poster boards up and be like, you know, or, or ask people if they could shoot them and shot actual reactions yeah. to people watching the circus, which would make yeah, sense. Could be, could be yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that'd be a lot of extras to bring in. Well, that's just it, right? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure they didn't have the rules we have now about seeing people on camera. 
Um, yeah. and, 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 and what a free way to get like a cast of thousands, right? Literally thousands of people in some of those shots. Yeah. Yeah. And like the chaos, the chaos of the circus, like the fact that there's like a, a, a shows going on in three separate rings and like, it just looks chaotic. Like it, it it's hard to even focus on one. I mean, maybe that's the joy and the secret of circus is that there was so much going on. It was just like a spectacle that, um, and then they would talk to each other. Like they would just have conversations because, you know, the crowd couldn't really focus in on you in any real capacity. So they would just do things that weren't, like they weren't even part of the show and the crowd wouldn't, would like, have no idea. Or not cheer. Like it was uh, really strange. I love that behind the scenes aspect, especially when there's that great scene where Angel and, and Betty Hudson are, are driving around and they're basically she's talking about how she's gonna steal her her former bow from her, you know, and they're waving to the crowd and just and, yeah. and they have no idea. I love that bit before they do the circus too, where the one woman's like, I want a hot dog, get me a hot dog. <laughs> and then yeah. two more and then she takes her gum out and <laughs> puts it behind the thing. She did that a few times. Yeah, every time it was a callback. Uh, during the parade, uh, uh, he also like gave her a look, and she took her gum out and put when it on she the was, cart. Yeah, when she was the queen. Yeah. Uh, so much good stuff. What was the other? Uh, oh, the line my my son balked at. That was Dorothy Lamore, right? That was. Um, yeah, that played Angel from the, from the old uh, uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby musical uh, movies. The yeah. Road Two movie. My son balked at Angel's line about her. her him needing a woman around so he'd have someone to get mad at. He's like, why is that funny? That shouldn't be funny. <laughs> Bless uh, him. The Bless him for being a, a, a mostly woke child. Yeah, absolutely. What else did I write down? Uh, so what about Charlton Heston? Yeah. Like, uh, I think this is, I don't have, I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan other than like, um, you know, maybe Planet of the Apes and uh, I've seen a bit of Ten Commandments, but I haven't really seen him this young. No, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of his in the sense that I'm like, but it's like, because I always feel like he's just playing the same. He plays one part, you know, he doesn't really have a, a ton of range, yeah. which isn't a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I think it's just like when you get Charlton Heston, you're getting that. Um, uh and he does it fine. Like he, he's charming here. He's, he's, there's a sweetness to him here where what I loved about his character here is you really like for the first bit it took, cause they don't really give him this great introduction where it's on, you're on his back for that first shot when he walks up and there's the two baby yeah. chimps there. And I don't know what they did to make that one endeared to him, but it just like instantly yearns for him. So whatever the trainer yeah. did to make that monkey love him uh, before the take to, to like just, even when he walks away, it's just like staring at him, right? So they yeah. must have bribed him with some kind of some kind of treat that the well, monkey uh, liked. He knows he's going to be uh, heading to the Planet of the Apes soon. So, oh, uh, he... this would have been before that, though, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because that wouldn't have been until the seventies, wasn't Planet of the Apes the seventies? I, I want to say sixties. Okay, that makes more sense. So, yeah. the, and this is the early fifties, so definitely, yeah. This this is the prequel to Planet of the Apes for that for that monkey. <laughs> Uh, he's definitely young, and but what I liked about him here is he just kind of slipped into the part. You know? Yeah, uh, he made me think of William Defoe. I mean, he's a weird guy, though. Yeah, you know what? That's a good. That's a really good comparison because he's not really good looking, and he's not 
very charming to me. I didn't think so anyways. Like, you know, I, I just thought he was kind of like, yeah, he cares about people, but he's so gruff and so like, yeah. uh, so all business. And, you know, I, I was like, why are these people, you know, throwing themselves at this guy? Like he just, maybe because he's the boss. I don't know. I didn't get it. He's the man in charge. I'm like, you know, Sebastian, I get that guy, like, you know, oozed charm. Yeah. Even though it was like a little bit of a, you know, sleazy charm, it's still like, it was still pretty, pretty charming. The accent is a lot of the heavy lifting for making yeah. it not, not super rapey. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just that one scene that it got pushed a little further. And then he was, then she was rescued by the elephant. And, and really mad about being rescued. Yeah. So she seemed, she seemed uh, into it. For, for the most part. I, yeah. I enjoyed the little love triangle that was going on. Uh, I will say, though, I didn't really feel like there was, like, ridiculously strong chemistry in any one direction. Yeah. You know, it felt like, yeah, these people could just switch partners around for forever and it would be fine, which is probably more accurate to the circus life anyway. Yeah. And that's what I liked about this is, like, is that it was really just kind of a slice of life, kind of this is what the circus looks like. This is yeah. what we do. Um, I would like to see a little bit more outside the big top. I would like to see like the dynamic of the relationships um, between some of the, you know, real performers a little more. Um, you know, we did, we saw a lot of the circus in progress. Yeah. Um, but the most fascinated I was, the, the most I enjoyed the movie was when we were watching them uh, pack up or set up or put up the tents or pack up the train or, you know, when they were all, I loved it when the trains were ready to go and like half the cast of the circus was out having a cookout and then the train honks and they all, they all bolt for the train because it, it's already moving. Like, it, you know, if you're not on it, you don't go. And they're all like, oh crap. And they're all like trying to force their way on the train. They leave their fire going. And like, it was, I was like, wow, that, that stuff was really fascinating to me. Yeah. Did you ever watch Carnival? Um, you know, I I think I watched a few episodes. I didn't watch both uh, the whole thing. Yeah, there was only two seasons. I saw the, I bought the first season on DVD, but I don't think I ever got around to seeing the second season. Uh, but it got weird. It was very Lynchian, but it wasn't Lynch. Yeah, know? that's kind of what what turned me off a little bit, and the fact that it got canceled so quickly, so it wasn't enough of an investment to go back. Yeah, it was a weird time where HBO had greenlit like. Four, like three or four big period dramas. And I think they just couldn't afford them all. Yeah. Uh, like, cause it was yeah. the same thing. Deadwood was at that time. It was Carnival, Deadwood, and there's another one. And I think they just. Yeah, it was probably right around when uh, Boardwalk Empire was starting up. It was just before Boardwalk, because Boardwalk maintained, and it was right. And it was before Game of Thrones, too. And that's why when Game of Thrones launched, I was convinced it wasn't going to last, because I thought HBO had a history of like, trying to make these big shows, but then not being able to hold on to them because they were just too expensive. Right. Um, but that one was, that I was wrong on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was, I was just really um, surprised by how engaged I was like the entire time. I think I used to like the, doc the documentary aspect, but I, like you, I would have loved more of the behind the scenes. I loved yeah. every, anytime we got a little slice of life, uh, and then, you know, just like to see like the dust behind the performers and, and the, the band-aids and the tape and all this stuff and then them go out and pretend none of it's there and just yeah. put on the show. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy. And it made me want, wish there was a really good definitive circus documentary. Yeah, if there it's is. A fascinating world, you know, like, and and I did like that uh, Cecil B. DeMille uh, narrated um, like the documentary parts of it too. Oh, is that, did he narrate it? Yeah. And it, he had some great narration. Like when they were rolling out the canvases, um, uh, this isn't verbatim, but it was like, uh, it was like, and the canvases, like the skin of a giant flayed and rolled out on the ground. <laughs> it was like, whoa. <laughs> he was so proud of himself. Yeah, it was great. But watching them put up the big top was like, it was like a maybe a three-minute sequence, and it was incredibly fascinating. And even taking it down, you know, just watching and just like seeing how like the townspeople, the townspeople come to help out and they give them all a free ticket. So yeah. they can, uh, and, I, and I thought that makes sense because you would need like extra hands, but you don't want to, you don't have to carry all those people throughout and have to feed them and yeah. house them and all that kind of stuff. And it even was just, like, even just life on the train. I would have loved like another sequence of life on the train. Yeah, absolutely. Would you think this was like, what was the year this was meant to be? Was it, was it like, uh, was it contemporary to 54 or was it, um, it, it meant felt- to be a little- it felt like it was pretty contemporary. It didn't feel more dated than that because they, they're using like phone walkie talkie type things within the circus system themselves. So it couldn't have been that much earlier. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any. Because we didn't really see that car, that car uh, that, that ended up crashing into the train. Um, I'm just was, trying to think. Was older, but not that old. Yeah, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of any of the clues you got, like because really the only time we're away from the circus ever is at the very end when they yeah. go through that main street of town. Yeah. So there's not a lot of clues that that tell you what year it is. So it felt fairly contemporary because they kept on talking to it at the beginning, uh, although they don't really ever return to it. That whole concept of you know we have to stay in the black. You know, we can't dip yeah. into the red. Like, it feels like they barely, once they set up those stakes, they barely return to them. Even when Sebastian is injured, you're like, oh, is that going to cause them to go in the red? It's like, oh, no, we're not, we're just not dealing with this as a plot point anymore. You guys put it like 10 minutes into this and then done. Yeah. It was like, oh, we need, we're dead without Sebastian. And then like, when, then later on, Sebastian's serving popcorn and, and the, like, they seem to be still fine. Yeah, they're fine. Oh, it's because she was so good. She right. she took over, apparently. But I love that she had some guilt about it too. I love that they played that like she she felt responsible because she razzed him into doing it. But then he was like, "No, how dare you? The only person that's responsible is me." Like I love that like that all felt you know smart and and well done. It didn't feel like they were. It just felt that everyone was doing the right thing and the smart thing at the time. That they, 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 nobody was falling into tropes too yeah. much, which is so easy to do in a movie like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked yeah. it. There's that terrible blackface joke at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> My son was just like, what? Uh, very, especially for a circus, when you think of like circus as kind of like a higher level of traveling gypsies in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like a very, very whitewashed cast. I don't think there was a single member of even the performers that wasn't Caucasian. You know, Sebastian. when they were putting up, when they were putting up the tents, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of um, diverse uh, people in those scenes. But none of the performers. Doing the, doing the labor. Yeah, no, no. They were, but they were on the real side, right? They were on the real circus side. Right. 
Um, but they were they were they were there at least they were represented. So it's good to know that the actual service, you know, was, um, you know, employed a lot of diverse people. Well, you got to imagine it's not like the most desirable job. You know, they kind of they're kind of they're, they're you know it's, it's still the modern day carny. But yeah. uh, like that, it, what a hard, hard job that would have been, you know. Like the, the the day you tear up and tear down would have just been backbreaking labor, and oh. then and then probably you get a couple of days off while the circus is in town, a day yeah. or two rest, and then it all starts up again. Well, I mean, you know, the smaller towns is like you can maybe get a day or two out of it at most, right? Like, and then the whole town's seen it. Like, you know, it's you got to keep moving. Yeah, like that's it's just not it. unheard of for those guys to put up the tent and take it down in the same day. Yeah, that's just it. No, in the cities you might you might get away with maybe a half a week to a week run yeah. in some of the major cities, but yeah, those small ones, it's it always fascinated me. Even just watching, I grew up in a small town where like the next town over always had a big fair, and it wasn't anything like this. But even just watching them bring the rides in uh, and like. Yeah. You know, so it was like a small version of what we have as like the CNE here in Toronto, right. you know, with the rides and all that kind of stuff. But, but even that just fascinated me and terrified me just looking at, especially some of those bigger rides going, I don't know if I want to ride a ride that is, that can be torn, brought, put together yeah, and like torn down. Have, um, I don't know if they have it in Ontario as much, but like growing up in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, um, they had, uh, they would always do like mall uh, carnivals um so they would bring like a ferris wheel and like they'd bring four or five rides and put them up in the parking lot of a mall and i was in like a haunted house and i'd always be terrified of going on those rides because it was like this ride wasn't here yesterday i don't know how like you know i don't know how safe this thing is and it's like you know a giant uh ferris wheel yeah this the closest thing i can think of that is the simcoe fair uh in like near like Erie does like a smaller that is kind of like just in a giant parking lot right uh in Caledonia which is where near where I grew up the Caledonia fair has an actual fairground that they keep up year round it's just like a giant is that the same one what's that the Orangeville fair as well or is that the same one no no different one um no but the Cal it's just literally a fairgrounds that they keep year round for just for this one you know week and a half that they do their 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 fair um, but that was always like such a highlight and just, such an exciting thing to do and go to as a kid was that fair. So, that, but I, I never had any kind of a circus growing up that, that I could go see. And I've never been to, um, uh, oh, you mentioned it earlier. Why is my brain not remembering it? Uh, Cirque du Soleil. I've never done that. Uh, even though they've had it for years near where we live or did before everything shut down, uh, and, and I'm always torn between because you hear the horror stories of how the animals are treated and whatnot, and whether in training or storage. And so I'm always torn whether or not it's it's ethical to go. But, um, but watching the the animal stuff in here always killed me too, especially at the like that during the train wreckage where it felt like in that one shot, like you saw something fall and then the animals came out of the yeah. The, right in the same moment it's like jesus christ like were they in that thing as they were dropping it what that's not what the fuck <laughs> yeah like all yeah the lions pouring out of the the, the um the cages and stuff yeah my son was yeah. t- got, my son was convinced we were gonna watch a lion mole somebody <laughs> like it was kind of feeling that way wasn't it like i thought so too 
And because it's one of those things where you go, okay, well, they're all trained animals, but but it's like, how do what happens when like they're when taken out of stress, like in a moment of stress like that, a yeah. moment of stress taken out of their normal environment, and they just um, fall back into. And, I, and you gotta wonder too. It's like because there's a difference. You you imagine there's gotta be a difference between the animals that we saw throughout the rest of the movie that are actually part of the circus and the animals that are in that sequence that was shot specifically just for the movie, right? Yeah. Um, like those are they're, they're all trained animals because they're in a movie, but still, like they're not trained the way a circus animal is trained. You would think. But uh, fascinating. Yeah. Again, it's like I would love to. I know you know such a thing doesn't exist, but I would like watch a documentary about the making of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I'm sure would cause many lawsuits because of how things were done. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's circus rules, really, right? Like there was pro- there was you know it was funny because they were making a big deal about how, you know, they had nets and stuff, but in a lot of the wide shots, um, there were no nets when they were, uh, when they were doing like um, the second unit stuff and the end, the end um, when they did the circus outside after the tent was all broken up in the train crash um, and had all the aerialists doing it and the audience was watching and there was no nets. No. Well, they only brought the nets in, like part partway through the movie because of what they were doing. Cause I think even Charlton Heston's character says at one point, if you do the regular act, we don't have to have the end. We don't have to have the nets, but if yeah. you're going to, you're going to goof around like this, that I can see how that could cause you anxiety. Cause that was terrifying me. Once they brought up the chairs. Oh, and <laughs> yeah. I did not care for that. <laughs> no, it was, but it was, but to watch it and, and, and try to figure out where the trick is going, where's the wires, how are they, like I'm sure some of that was going on, but they hit it well enough. Yeah. But also just like when you see an actor do something for real like that, it's like that's that's impressive. That's a layer of dedication that especially for that era. You're just well, you're do you remember um are you old enough to remember uh Circus of the Stars? Yeah. Like I never I, I uh I don't have specifics, but I remember it being on television, right? Well, I do, and I used to watch it as a kid, and you know, it was the same thing. It was like all it was i can't remember what network it, it was on maybe abc um and they would get all the big stars of abc of the day and they would teach them how to do like crazy circus stunts and then they would do a one or two hour special called circus of the stars and all these stars would do circus stunts oh, and, so that, and it was like a circus i'm and thinking of something like, else i don't remember it. that at all it was nuts i remember like so part of the show was like they would show how they trained they would show like them training with the the aerialists and stuff, and then it would cut to that night of like the big circus with the stars, and they'd be doing these stunts. <laughs> it's like, wow! Like, can you imagine doing something like that now with like the stars of your your network? No, the closest thing we have to that is is Dancing with the Stars, right? Yeah, yeah, but the, but yeah, but and those were those are all like you know those are not stars, right? Typically, like maybe one or two of them. No, it's, like it's it's people reality show cast offs mostly, right? But these yeah. were the biggest stars of the day. It would be like Michael J. Fox, you know, and and uh, um, I remember specifically Michael J. Fox being in it, and oh, you know the Golden Girls, and you know or whoever like whoever like the big stars were. Linda Blair, I'm looking up. So there, Dick Clark is in one. If uh, for those listening, if you uh, 
are interested, just go to YouTube and type in Circus of the Stars and they have the full episodes. Oh, Jamie, wow. Jamie Lee Curtis is in one. Yeah. Cindy Williams. Crazy. Bronson Pinchot was in the 19th. Yeah, that would have been during Perfect Strangers, right? So, What the hell? This is amazing. How have I never seen these? Yeah, just go, just have it on YouTube, and they have the full like hour and a half long episodes. Wow, for various years. So for those who, uh, it looks like there's a there's a playlist. Someone's made a playlist that has sixteen of them. Oh God, yeah, that's, that's more than I thought they did. That's fascinating. It looks like they did them all the way up to the eight in through the eighties too. That's I didn't know about that. I will be uh, I'll be looking at some of those. My kids <laughs> yeah. might be fascinated by that. I wonder how many of the actors they'll, they wouldn't probably know half, almost any of them, but I, I'll recognize a few for sure. Well, I, you know, you might be surprised because a lot of them were quite young at the time and have, you know, continued their careers and stuff. Like, yeah, um, definitely, I'm sure some they'll, they'll recognize from various things. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. So, yeah, I don't have much of a history with the circus, except for my daughter who is big into silks and, she she is is basically a circus performer who just uses our our house as her training ground. <laughs> Has ab core strength like nobody's business. She my daughter could plank for an hour if she wanted to. <laughs> so oh, uh, not a musical. Should we? Uh, no. Um, although there were a couple of songs, uh, but they were they were they weren't musical style. They were just kind of. Um, more like the style of the old 40s and 50s movies when they would, you know, if Dean Martin was in the movie, he would definitely sing a song, but it wouldn't be a musical. Yeah, it feels more like a vaudeville kind of thing, yeah. like uh, a number as part of the circus rather than, yeah, not a musical. That was like, uh, and now, um, you know, and now Holly, uh, the the one of the roses in the uh, in the beautiful rose display will sing this song. And, yeah. and she would just sing as they would go around. And not and about sing that song at the end. Here comes the uh, the circus or whatever. Like, yeah, that's like, that's the closest thing I got. To, but that yeah. also just felt like that's something they would do as part of the circus, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So definitely, not, I wouldn't call it a musical at all. But uh, so that was a little surprising. Yeah, no, and not and not about P.T. Barnum, as we were wondering, but still yeah. about the Barnum show because it was a Barnum and who was the, was the Ringling Brothers? Was, was it? Ringling. Uh, was it Barnum and Bailey and Ringling. I know that I know the guy who was doing the uh, uh, the guy who was the um, um, the ringleader or the ringmaster, whatever he's called. Yeah, I think that is. I think that is a um, uh, one of the Ringling brothers. Oh, okay, cool. I think that was like, and I'm making this up. John Ringling. I'll buy it. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's his name, but I'm pretty sure he's actually one of the Ringling brothers. Yeah, well, that, I I like that they used a real circus company because it just added to that layer of authenticity. Yeah, but also it was just smart because it's like, why don't we just partner with them? They'll get promotion out of it, um, you know. Because just like the movie states, it's like I'm sure at that point that you know they were getting to like the end of the golden era of circus in America. You know, TVs are coming in. We're seeing things on TV that so people don't need to like leave their homes for entertainment the way they did in the generations prior, right? Most people yeah. starting in that era, that's when people started getting TV in their homes, right? In the fifties. So, uh, I'm just looking up, uh, I'm just looking up, um, um, the, uh, um, Wikipedia just to see a few things. Uh, and I see here that there was a cameo by Bob Hope and, uh, and Bing Crosby, but I don't remember seeing them. 
No, I looked at that too, and I don't, I couldn't tell you where they were. So they were they were hidden into one of the acts somewhere. Well, it says most of them were in the circus audience, but I definitely don't remember them being um, in the audience. So I'm gonna have to look, I'm gonna have to look that up on YouTube or something and see if I and see what that where they were in that because um, I'm pretty curious. Mm-hmm. Any other final thoughts on the greatest show on earth? Um. Just that you know, like it, it, I, I kind of miss this style of movie, like the the the, the big widescreen uh, epic. I mean, it wasn't even widescreen; it was shot in four three. Right. Um, I guess it just feels widescreen That's because it. It, there's so much in the in the frame. Yeah. Um, but it, this was Cecil B. DeMille's second last movie, and his last movie was The Ten Commandments. Yeah. So you know, and he was known for doing these gi- these giant. A uh, cast giant. I, I was I was it's trying to. I was funny because when the when the, the name came up for the credits, my son was like, "Whoever that is." I was like, "I here's the thing." I was like, "For your context, this guy was the Spielberg of his day." Yeah, you know, he was like the Russo brothers of his day, as my son would get that more. And he's like, "Oh," <laughs> instantly had mad respect for the guy. Yeah. <laughs> with that frame of reference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, it didn't disappoint in that way. And I do miss, like, those big sweeping epics. Um, and I, I do want to say that, like, uh, I, w- I was reading that this, this was considered maybe one of the, um, one of the uh, best picture winners that was one of the least accepted as, as being a best picture winner. But what I read about that was that it looked like High Noon was the favorite to win, but there was stuff about all the communist things in Mankiewicz. Right. So it felt like they, that's what some of the stuff I was reading that people felt like it was a concession because people didn't want to vote for high noon because of Joseph Mankiewicz was on, on trial for. Uh, right. Right. And high noon, um, you know, that's another uh, episode that we, that I did with you. Yeah. Um, I loved high noon. Yeah. That was an excellent, excellent movie. Um, but to be honest, um, as much as I love it, I, I mean, I, as far as best pictures go, like this just felt more grand. For sure. For sure. Yeah. If you're looking at like big, it was considered, I think I read that it was the biggest film of the year in terms of box office. Right. Which is rare. Like I think with the exception of like, I bet you, if you looked at the history of best picture winners, it'd be like maybe this and Titanic as like the highest grossing movies of the year that also won best picture. Yeah. Um, so I wonder what the pushback was like, I, you know, besides, because it, you know, a lot of the critics, I, I, uh, I noticed on, uh, the, um, the IMDB rating was, or the Rotten Tomatoes rating or whatever was actually really low on it. It was in the fifties, you know? Huh. So, um, I don't think it was a critical darling either. So it's just one of those kind of anomalies, I guess. No, but also probably a lot of those ratings are retroactive and written away later too. Right. Um, it could be, but like, you know, there was, there, uh, I was looking at some, um, reviews from the day and, you know, a lot of people thought it was just bloated and, and, you know, like, um, I mean, especially in an era when you're getting a movie, like a, a, a very kind of new movie, like, um, high noon that, you know, was so, rev- uh, you know, so unheard of like yeah. this, this Western where you know nobody wanted to like help out the cowboy um, yeah for sure it's definitely yeah it definitely it feels felt like old-fashioned even for the 50s 
Yeah. And it doesn't like, with the exception of like, if you take out that third act with the train crash, it's pretty, like you said, it's very slice of life. You know, there's, there's definitely stuff going on through, there is a narrative thread, but it's, it's pretty light and, and bouncy. So it's not until yeah. the end that the movie has any kind of gravitas at all. Right. But that's, yeah. but, but that sequence is phenomenal. Oh my God. It was insane. It was you know, and and yeah, I don't know. It was uh, it was unexpected for sure. Yeah, my jaw dropped as soon as like I I because I I, I saw the, the him racing towards like oh the guy's gonna sacrifice himself. I was not expecting that collision to like get that bad when it started. Sacrifice himself and the guy who's unconscious in the back seat. <laughs> he knocked unconscious. <laughs> that guy was a bit of a dick. <laughs> oh, that guy was a dick through the whole movie. Yeah, it was like the weirdest character. Yeah, I like that the the little uh, one of the monkeys found the money. Yeah, yeah, that was cute. <laughs> uh, I actually, really, I really enjoyed myself. Uh, you know, I really, I my son loved it too. He was yeah, really into it. I had a great time with it. I'm I'm glad I'm glad uh, that I finally um, you know was motivated to watch it, um, and uh, I had a blast. I, I'll watch it again. I, I I really did like it. Yeah, no, I liked it too. I'm glad you I'm glad you picked it. I uh, I have to look through now my list. I'm curious. I'm going to look on Letterboxd. And see uh, what other best pictures I'm I'm missing because I think I'm pretty good with most of them. I don't think I've missed too many. Yeah, but, uh, I'm like you know, there's maybe two or three. Like I don't know, did maybe like Splendor in the Grass? Is that something that won best picture? I, no, I I'm probably not great on the ones from 1940s bef- below, with a few yeah. exceptions. But uh, everything later on, I, I'm I'm. Oh, uh, Around the World in 80 Days. If that one best picture, I haven't seen that one either. Nope, neither have I. Well, there well, you go. We'll maybe pick it up as our uh, as our Oscar special this year. Future episode. I love it. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, Ken. Yeah, always a pleasure. Always a good time. Let's all go. Thanks for joining us for The Greatest Show on Earth. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.